Hey guys, happy Wednesday and welcome to season two of the Drive Through Moms podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Nitcher. I've always had a huge heart for moms and their lifelong job of raising children, their struggles, joys, and experiences that are so often 100% different from my own. Each week we get to hear the story of an ordinary mom serving her family, community, and the Lord in amazing ways. Seeing the gifts and talents of others and watching how God has worked in their life inspires me daily. We are all in this motherhood game together, and I believe we can benefit immensely from listening and encouraging each other through what God has done in our own lives. What a privilege it is to share these amazing women with you. I'm so glad you're here. Here we go. Hey friends, welcome to the Drive Through Moms podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Nitcher. Today, I could not be more excited to the person that I'm talking to. It's Jackie McCarg. She is a former high school teacher of American history for 30-ish years. She worked with her college board, graded the SAT, the ACT, um, graded American history AP exams. She's taught AP institutes to teachers that are prepping to teach that. Um, she was asked to be the keynote speaker at the college board convention in 2015, but was undergoing chemo treatment and couldn't go. Um, she spent countless hours reading and devouring anything history related, still does. She's a preacher's wife and kid, a grandma, a great grandma, a Christ follower, a cancer survivor, but mainly she just happens to be my mother. Hi, mom. Hi, sweetie. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited that you're on with me. It's going to be happy Mother's Day show. So I'm super excited. Thanks for well, agreeing. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about you and daddy. Um, and I think this story is super awesome in terms of it's, if you look at it from today's terms, maybe a little scandalous in that (laughs) you were a pastor's daughter in a church where Papa was the preacher and daddy was the youth pastor, right? Right. Is that right? That's right. And he was, daddy's what, almost eight years older than you? Yes. Yes. So how did that go over with Papa? So is that where I'm just go back and tell us a little bit about how you guys met and how that all worked out? Because this just, like I said, a story that you probably wouldn't hear of as much today. True. Well, my dad was a pastor and uh, from time to time we he would go to meetings or we would go to different places. And uh, Ardmore, Oklahoma was one of those places because that's where the Bible college was that he went to and Wendell graduated from there. So while he was in college and I was visiting a friend in Ardmore, I had met him, but at that time I was 12, which would have been very (laughs) scandalous. (laughs) Yeah. That would have been more so. Yes. So then uh, later when he graduated from college, uh, he became my dad's assist uh, youth director and did a lot of other things around the church and we started dating and uh, my mother would say, you don't want to marry a preacher, Jackie. <laughs> and uh, I would say, well, mom, you know, I think I might want to. And uh, so he asked me just, we'd been going together probably six months. And uh, I said, yes, right away. And then uh, he asked dad and he said, no. <clears throat> and so uh, I think mother worked on dad a little bit. And uh, anyway, before long, I had my ring for Christmas. <laughs> and uh, we made our uh, date to get married in July. And um, we married 
July 16th of 1959. Which is crazy. So this is going to be 62 years this summer? 62 years, yes. Wow. Long time. Long time. So when you, so then you were 18? I was 18. Holy but cow. as I always said, and of course your father said, I was a very mature 18. I would probably <laughs> agree because I think you've always been very mature and wise. So I you graduated. Well, no, for sure. So you graduated from high school and then did you go, you had a scholarship to go to college, right? What happened? I did. Okay, so what I happened went. when you graduated and then got married? Well, I went to college uh, for a year and a half at the University of Houston. Wendell was teaching by the time I started at college. And uh, I, uh, he took me on the way. It was quite a distance to where he was teaching, and it was way out of the way to take me to the university, but he did. And then I would catch a bus home. It was a transfer downtown and all of that, but. I enjoyed it. I had anything else, anything else to do with, you know, the days. So I enjoyed going. But, but we bought a house in South Houston so he could start a work there, which he did. And in the meantime, I was pregnant with Bowen. And uh, I stopped about, I stopped going to school about two weeks before he was born. And so then I when did go back for 12 years. <laughs> So then you didn't go back to school to finish your undergrad until I was in school because you finished your master's, what, when I was third, fourth grade? It was about 10 years later. Wow. Yeah, I finished my BA at University of Texas at Arlington in 76. And then in 84, I think it's when I got my master's at University of Texas at Arlington. So by the time you started teaching, because we'll talk about your your school career, because that's really what um, you're so well known for is your mm-hmm. your love of history and teaching and the impact you've had on the kids um, through the years with a lot of our friends because you taught in our school district. Um, but you didn't start teaching until you finished your master's, but you still were able to get in close to 30 years or what? No, I went I started teaching the year that I got my degree in 76. Okay. So it was in 76. So when I got my master's, I was already teaching for that for eight years, I guess, in between. But uh, your brother, your oldest brother got married, left the nest, and uh, things were much quieter. And your father had been, well, not pushing, but talking to me about going back and getting my master's. And so that seemed like a good time. And I went back. So you got your, what was the difference in your bachelor's and your, were they both in history? They were both in history. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then your, so what was your first class that you taught? You taught world history in the beginning? When I started, I taught world and American. And um, we didn't have a book for world because uh, the teacher that had it didn't think the book was any good. Of course, I didn't know a lot of world because I'd been out so long. So it was a really rough year. (laughs) I had to really dig. But then I taught world for four more years just by by itself. So uh, that was good because I had already, by then I had kind of gotten used to it. But But I always wanted to do American. Yes. But your first year, you didn't have a textbook. No. Oh my gosh. gosh. Yes. So what do you think was your favorite between, so 
there's a lot of different, I think after this last year with COVID, parents are probably seeing, especially parents that decided to do the social distance learning um, and or homeschooled their kids, were able to see a lot more from a teacher's perspective in terms of maybe class preparations <laughs> and having, uh, you know, how their kids behave or don't behave or different learning styles. But you taught a lot of different preparations through the years, sometimes at the same time versus like an academic or which today I guess is more referred to as a core class. Um, and back in the day, there was honors versus AP versus pre-AP versus um, regular versus regular. And yeah. um, I mean, what was your favorite level, I guess, in terms of, of difficulty? Um, and then how many of those preps have you had at one time? Because if I remember, you've had several at at one time. Uh, Three at one time, but they were all American history. The difference was that AP started at the very beginning and went in depth all year, whereas regular, which is what I started with, uh, and then honors because they asked somebody to develop an honors class, and I was the only one that wanted to take on more work. And so I did teach that, but I would sometimes have three levels. Once I started teaching AP, it would be the regular, and we were still teaching honors for a while there, and AP. So I would have three different preparations, but I didn't have that too often. Most of the time I had honors and AP. I liked honors. All those years I was teaching it, and I would probably was teaching it a lot like AP because I was always told that was very hard. Hopefully, I would agree. Most, a lot of my friends said that, so I probably <laughs> agree. Hopefully, I learned a little mercy and grace over the years. But uh, even those last years when, when when my husband taught at the class, when your dad taught at the, at the high school, his students, he taught worlds, so they would always tell me, we like you, Miss McCarg, but you're not near as nice and easy as your husband. <laughs> That's so funny. I I tried not to worry about living up to his reputation, but uh, I think AP because of the built-in rigor, uh, it's hard to get kids to do things that are hard if they're not required. <laughs> so yeah. for like in a regular academic course, to ask kids to go to museums would have been very, very difficult right. uh, in time. I had a few students to where I'd have to make exceptions where maybe they could do it online, which as that became more and more popular and available, uh, I wanted them to have the experience. So I never gave it as an option. But if I had a student I knew was not going to be able to, to make it to the museum, but there you could require more rigor. And that, that was always... My idea. I don't want. I didn't want to beat the kids over the head, but I knew most of them were not working at their optimum that right. they could be. So and back I had up. this saying that I put on the board. Let me just say this: uh, a, my, a man's grasp should exceed his reach. In other words, he should always be having to stretch. I love and, that. Yeah. So back up a little bit and explain, because some people that are listening may not really know or their kids aren't old enough to know about what AP is, being advanced placement through College Board or what pre-AP, which I would assume that pre-AP is more um, what the old honors would have been, or is it more what uh, AP would have been? So explain a little bit about pre-AP versus AP and what the goal is um, and what they're set up to do. 
Well, advanced placement was set up in the 1950s, and it was kind of at the request of parents who had children that were capable of doing much more than they were doing in their classes. And that's kind of the way it came about. And the idea was that you could take a class in, in high school that was rigorous, but you would still, uh, you could get college credit if you would pass the test at the end of the year. And the test was made by the college board. So other than reviewing old tests, there was uh, no hint to the kids from the teacher. We did not know, even when I was a reader, we never, you know, if that was the big game, what's this question going to be, the DBQ especially, what is the document-based question going to be this year? But we didn't know. So the kids were going to be on an objective uh, status and they, we just had to prepare them for everything that might, they might be asked. And that was difficult, but it gave you a good excuse for always pushing on with what right. had to be done. Now, in, during the time I was teaching AP, we began to get complaints and, and even court cases uh, about the fact that in the early days, you had to have recommendations from your teachers. You needed to have a certain grade in your social studies before you got to that level to get in. But that seemed to be thought to be too exclusive. And so in time, we had no recommendations and anyone could get in, although they could be advised by their teachers, their previous teachers, that it could well be too hard for them. Right. Right. But um, once you got them, since they knew it was a rigorous course, uh, it was pretty hard for them to, you know, complain about what they'd gotten themselves into because I had courses of study and all kinds of things I handed out before they even registered so that they would know and their parents would know exactly, you know, what the course was going to entail. I guess that's why I liked AP the most. But I enjoyed those years of honors, too, because I had some really good students during those years, and they wrote as many essays as we wrote in AP. AP essays were very directed in to certain, you have to do these certain things, whereas uh, you didn't do that in honors, and sometimes those were more interesting to read. So what would you tell parents that, might be considering encouraging their kids to take an AP class? I mean, obviously, um, with your experience teaching and grading, uh, teaching AP for so long, and then, you know, going on later and teaching institutes in the summers um, to teachers that were going to be teaching AP maybe for the first time or in a different subject, um, uh, what would you tell teacher or parents that were considering encouraging their kids to take an AP class or even multiple? Because I know with our kids, all three of ours took AP classes. Um, you know, uh, Reed probably took more than any of them. Um, he, I know that in in looking back, I can see um, maybe pros and cons to taking some in specific content area versus another. But what would you tell a parent? Maybe they might be thinking about encouraging well, your, their kid. Your student has certain strengths already that by now, by the time they get to high school would have been recognized. They were either great at English. They wrote beautiful poems and essays, or they might be great at math and they might not be good at all at social studies. 
Now, if they're good students, they could learn a lot and maybe learn to love social studies in AP. But I think, first of all, you'd want to look at what are they really good at that they would excel in an AP class because they knew it was going to be hard. And then where are they going to college and what do they want to do with their life? Now, the problem with that is they probably know where they're going to college, but they have no idea what they're going to do with their life. Right. Exactly. So going by their current interest is about all we can know for sure. And if their current interest is turned toward science or toward economics or toward whatever their interest is, I would for sure uh, get them in that area. Now, some colleges don't take the AP scores anymore, but then you can't get in if you don't have some AP courses in your transcript. So a lot of people thought that was going to hurt AP classes, but it really hasn't seemed to do that because kids who want to go to really good, you know, elite schools, I guess we could say, uh, the ones that might not be taking it for to in, <clears throat> instead of one of their classes, uh, they still need the AP classes. Well, and some of them, the different schools might take um they might take that AP exam, but they want a certain grade on those or, uh, you know, they want a five versus a four versus a three. And it also depends on what your major is. In Um, your major, you generally need a higher score. Right, right. And you, um, I have had students who were taking five or six AP courses and they did not have a breakdown, (laughs) but I was worried all year. Yeah. And their other teachers were because it just seemed so unreasonable. However, for those students, at least in the teachers I talked to, they were having no problem with any of their classes because they were very widely talented and gifted. Right. And I know I heard that a lot from uh, we heard that at least in McKinney through a lot of the counselors that would speak to parent groups a lot was, you know, make sure you know your kid, you know what their interests are, um, you know where their breaking point can be if it's yes. too much um, and um, that, you know, you're being careful about not putting too much pressure on them. I will say probably in retrospect, we probably pressured ours a little too much um, uh, in terms of. Um, you know, maybe taking one that they didn't need to take at the time, or uh, I think Reed might be maybe have taken too many because he was one of those kids that I think took four or five his senior year, even though one of them, you know, a couple of them were semester classes. Um, but and then when he got to college, he that was one of those instances where it only would, uh, as far as English went, I think they only took one or the other, mm-hmm. so he got credit for both, but he only could actually get use credit for it at school. Um, but I will say that I'm I'm thankful that we encouraged them to do it. I know there are a lot of parents that really poo-poo on the whole AP thing because they just think it's too hard. But I think them seeing, you know, like you said, the opportunity to push themselves and grow and challenge themselves and see that they can do more than just walking in and being present in class, um, that they're they have a lot of opportunities to learn a lot more than they would if they were, you know, not pushing themselves. What do you think? Um, I know you've given some really interesting assignments through the years. Um, I know one of them in particular that I remember you giving students was having your kids interview someone. So talk a little bit about what that was like and kind of what your goal was for your kids in those interview processes. 
Well, I started that a long time before I was doing AP, but it wasn't a requirement. It was something they could do for extra credit. I don't really like extra credit. I tell them if they would do the credit, they would be better off. But most of them like doing the extra credit better than the credit. But we started with uh, people from the Depression. And uh, it was amazing the interviews the kids would bring. And they would come in and say, I thought I knew my grandma. I had no idea who this woman was. And so it was very, very gratifying to me. I'm sure there were some students who just uh, interviewed their dog or whatever. <laughs> they made up the questions and they gave the answers. But They're so wise to their problems. <laughs> <laughs> but that wouldn't keep me from giving it to the for the benefit of the kids who would really do it right and get such a bonus out of it. So uh, I kept giving that until it was getting harder and harder to find older people who could remember what was going on in the Depression. So in time, they, they began to uh, interview World War, people from World War II, although some of those were also from the Depression. So we kind of had a mix. And later on, they got opportunities where they could do Vietnam or Korea. And uh, uh, in my regular classes, throughout the whole time, it would be optional. But in my AP classes, it was required. And they would, I let them do it on tape. And so they would bring me the tapes and I would carry them in the car for weeks and weeks. And that's the way I graded them. Most of them would just whenever I was in the car, I popped them in. And uh, some of them were just fascinating. And the kids were obviously so excited about the things Do you still have any of those tapes? I think I gave them all back to them. Because oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be something they would want to keep. Yeah. For their family. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hilarious. How, okay. That date, that dates us both that you had tapes in our cars, but, um, (laughs) but I love that. The, uh, in the end that we were doing videotapes of their, uh, grandparents. And so those were just an added bonus to what they had done before. Well, and I know those stories that, that we heard through the years of Papa, your dad, mm-hmm. um, and him, uh, you know, hopping trains. Um, you'll have to tell a little bit about that and what his experiences were like. Was that, was, you know, what the time frame was in terms of he was in and out of the army and uh, trying to find work and like, what were those years like? But I remember growing up hearing some of those stories from him. Sure. He was from a family of eight boys, and they had a truck farm down in Teague and would bring vegetables and uh, items like that to the farmer's market. Uh, Somewhere along the way, he must have worked on a lot of old cars, too. I guess with that many boys, you would. But uh, at one point, he couldn't get a job, or he found a job up in Wichita Falls, that somebody knew about, and he got the job, and he worked all week, and he was so excited. And when he got his paycheck, he went and bought him some khakis and some shirts, and he just had enough money to uh, for food for the next week. And when he went back the next week, they had closed the business because of the depression. Oh, no. So at that time, that's when he started uh, hitching boxcar rides. went to sleep in one and ended up about in New Orleans, but he ended up, he finally got back home. He was about 17 then, I think. 
My gosh, you know, it's funny because I heard those those stories through the years and I guess maybe as a kid thought, okay, that's cool. It's just a story. And I don't, you know, we live in such a different time. I couldn't necessarily see, you know, getting on a railway car to go somewhere else because it just wasn't relatable to me in my frame of reference, I guess. But, you know, we, uh, me and you and Terry and Sheila, you know, our family was reading uh, and had a book club and we were reading that story at American Dirt mm-hmm. about, um, you know, this woman from Mexico trying to get to the United States and how they were going from train to train and trying to just, you know, it, it the book presenting her in a way of trying to protect her child and trying to get to safety and what you would do. Because the thought to me was like, I can't imagine jumping on a, a train to be safe or to find a job. Yeah. Yeah. Very Um, dangerous. But anyway, I know that book when we read that were just reminding me of, of Papa telling those stories and hearing about those through the years. Um, So, well, the other project I was going to tell you about. Yeah. If, if that's okay, yeah, uh, was a museum project. Okay. And I here again, I had done this before, and my honors students would generally all do them, uh, even though they were voluntary, because generally the classes that and AP were hard enough that they needed a few extra points here and there. And uh, so they had to go to a museum, and they had to have 15 things that they learned at the museum, and if it was, if they just went to look at paintings, the art of a period, then they had to tell me the 15 paintings they are sculptures, whatever, that they liked the best, and not just that they saw them. And uh, many of them would tell me, I didn't like any, but if I had liked any, these would be the 15. <laughs> <laughs> Others would say, I've never been to a museum, and neither had my parents, but they went with me. And we are going to all the museums now because <laughs> they just found it to be such a neat experience. But yeah. they had to write that up and tell me the things that they had uh, learned. They had to have somebody in the bookshop or the uh, little store to sign their um, pamphlet that they could get there at the museum and date it. And, you know, I know that a lot of, in time to me, a lot of them could have their name, their friend bring one and sign it for them. But I was very uh, gratified one day when I went over to the Sid Richardson. It is a little gallery in uh, Sundance Square in Fort Worth. And uh, I was talking, looking at it and told them that I had sent, oh, you're the teacher that keeps sending those students. So (laughs) all the way to Fort Worth, a lot of them were going. And there were here, there were a lot of free uh, museum, so you didn't have to put out any money unless you got your car towed in front of the Kennedy Museum. I think we right. had one student who did that. Oh gosh! Well, and I love that because I know, and you obviously know that I was not like a huge history buff uh, back in the day. Um, still, yes. you know, politics and history has <laughs> not always been my thing, but. There's something about just the exposure of going and, you know, we'll talk a little bit in a second about your your love of travel and you and daddy traveling all over the world and just, um, and I've never been a huge reader. Now, I do like to read a lot more so now than I, than I used to, um, but there's something about going and doing something that even though you didn't want to do for whatever mm-hmm. reasons, maybe it was just because you were told that you had to mm-hmm. um, or maybe it was because 
um, you know, your mom wanted to stop and read every brown historical marker sign along <laughs> along every vacation path that you I went. I wonder who that was. But you know, now I find myself when I'm in a museum and I love to go and I love art and I studied part of some art history in college. Um, that now when you go to those places and you see that you like, you feel like you're doing the author or the artist or whoever a disservice if you don't. And I mean, I'll be honest. It's always, I have my mom's voice in the back of my head and I'm like, okay, mom would want me to read this. <laughs> so, but I love that because then those experiences, people don't forget. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember that when I was, even if it's just, you saw one painting and you hear that guy's name later. So, um, those I are had one, <clears throat> I had one family of really good students who, um, went for spring break in Chicago. And so if they were going to travel over spring break, and so many of our students did, then um, they would just come to me and we would talk about the museums that were there. I think this girl came back with like 250 points. You could only get 105. But they had gone to every place in Chicago, the whole family, and just had loved it. Wow. That's awesome. So, okay. So you are a huge reader. I know that. Um, And you love historical fiction or historical, you know, um, biographies. Um, What's your favorite? Like, who's your favorite president? I was asked, I was telling the kids the other day that I was going to interview grandma uh, and telling the other cousins and nieces and stuff. And so I was like, what do y'all want to know? Or what would you want me to ask her? And they're like, that's so great. I'm so excited. Um, but one of the questions was an obvious one, which I already had, was who's your favorite president? Because we know you love talking and studying presidents and you always have so much to add to political conversations around the Thanksgiving table. But <laughs> um, who would be your favorite president and why? Well, you know, it's hard really to make a choice. Uh, we used to have it. We played a game. Uh, and I've done this in my institutes, I don't know how many times, but where they played uh, like the final four and the presidents were in the brackets. That's and, so fun. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. But we'd almost always get down to it would be Washington and Jefferson and FDR and TR. Of course, then there was JFK. Uh, but those would be the the people that came up the most there at the end. And so then you get these huge fights between the two Roosevelts if they, if that's what the two groups had come up. Anyway, it was fascinating. Now, it's difficult for me to say, I like the presidents who had the big personalities because they're so much easier to teach. It's a whole lot easier to teach about uh, Theodore Roosevelt and his dramatic life and his living uh, out tragedy as he did, uh, and then coming out of it an even stronger person and having this vigorous life that he loved to have. His home is probably one of the most interesting ones that we have visited. It's in uh, New York uh, on uh, Long Island, Oyster Mm -hmm. Bay. Uh, Very, very fascinating place. Uh, I like Lincoln. For a lot of reasons, uh, just because he, I guess we tend to glorify the people who end up being um, killed or thought of as martyrs for the cause. Um, but he did have a very interesting story 
and led the country at a time that we could very easily have split. Uh, but he was determined that we would not. So have you split. watched? So have you watched? Um, Atlantic Crossing, because I know probably it's hard to watch store uh, movies or stories or read certain things that have a historical reference. But uh, Reggie and I've been watching Atlantic Crossing, which is about uh, Roosevelt's in it. And there's this whole side. Like, I don't know. You know me. Like I said, I'm not a big history person, but I didn't realize that there was. Yes, right at the beginning of it, where he, they were like trying to stay out of it. Yes. Um, but that he, there was this whole almost womanizing side oh. of him. Oh, well, there is a lot of that if you want to study about presidents. Oh, okay. Well, you'll uh, have to tell me some more. <laughs> but it's really, I think you should watch it. It's, mm-hmm. but is it hard for you is to filter shows? I don't know, so Mom. I don't, don't even know how to Netflix use our remote. So all the- all the good things seem to be on that. I mean, um, I think it's Amazon Prime actually, but it's Atlantic is Crossing, it? and it's it's about um, the guy who is uh, a royalty in. Bleh, see, this is how bad I am. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, Sweden, and he they want, and his wife comes to the United States. Yes, I did. I have seen that advertised. Anyway, anyway, is it hard for you to watch stuff like that? And and do you do you feel like you watch it through? Okay, I've really read the books and I really know, and this isn't done well. Or can you kind of watch it and think, mm-hmm. oh, that's really well done? Or uh, yeah, that mostly I I say to myself, well, wonder if that's true, because if it's something I don't know, I want to find. You know, I want to find out. I want to look it up, and I will do that. Uh, I probably get more <clears throat> irritated or upset just with people on TV, the news people. If they, if I've heard one time, I've heard it 10 million. This has never happened before when it's happened probably 15 times. Uh, or, you know, this is the first time such and such. Yeah. And, you know, it's not. Uh, just because you know what the history is. Right. So. And that's a big point that I that's think, hard. especially in this uh, social media-driven world of seeing something in print or on somebody's feed or on a post or on Twitter or something, that you read it and just go, oh, that must be true. Or you watch a movie yes. and you're like, oh, that's how it was. Instead of being a critical thinker and saying, okay, let's really stop and look at um, what really happened and read and do my own research and come up with my own opinion versus just... I read this one place or I saw this movie, so that must be how it was. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, you've been retired for a while, but even before you retired, you and daddy have loved to travel. So you've been, you've done a lot of things since you've retired. um, But what are some of your favorite things that you've done in retirement? And then we'll talk a little bit about your travel experiences. Well, in retirement, probably the favorite thing is to keep traveling. (laughs) We're kind of coming to the end of that uh, because of health issues or age issues, uh, which is kind of sad. But I'm just so thankful that we were able to. Uh, Duncanville had a student travel program, as you know. Uh, you and Bowen and Mark all made trips under it. And uh, I was good friends with the people in the Spanish department. It was my minor, but I would never have been able to teach it. But I taught out there in their little building one year. 
And uh, so one year we had always talked about the traveling and we had never been out of the country uh, up to that point. Of course, we had children. That's uh, an impediment. Uh, so Sorry. <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth Watson uh, was a Spanish teacher, and she asked if we could go with them that year. And if Wendell could come along as a uh, sponsor, would help us with the boys. So we took 42, I believe, 42 Spanish students. Many of them were my American history students, too. So I knew them. Uh, Wendell was still teaching at the Bible College, so he didn't know any of them. But we went to Spain, and it was a glorious trip. It was so beautiful. Uh, because I'd always studied Spain from a Spanish Civil War era <laughs> and all the problems that Spain had, I was very surprised to see that it was such a, a beautiful and uh, historic, I don't know, I was blown away. And from that point on, I knew that we wanted to travel. The next year, no, next four years, four or five years, the uh, they decided that they would go to Russia. And so with a faculty group. And so Dad and I went on that one as well. They wanted social studies people to be able to go. And it was a glorious trip. So that was kind of the first two places that we went out of the country back in the 80s. And since then, I guess we've been to about 40 uh, countries. <clears throat> wow. And So you've been to all. Spain and Russia and you've China, been to China. And England and Germany and France and Italy and uh, Yugoslavia. Well, not, it's not that anymore, isn't it? Uh, Czech, the Czech Republic, uh, Slovenia, I guess is the one we went. To in the that used to be Czech. Anyway, we've been to many different countries. Poland, uh, of course, we love them for history, but then also for their old world beauty. And right. uh, we never. People always talk about how Americans are not liked, and uh, we never found that at all. People were very generous to us and always wanted to see if they could, if they had English at all. They wanted to try to talk to you, and they were very proud that you were enjoying their country. And they, uh, we had a guide in Greece, and I think of right away, she just wanted us to see her beautiful country and to take away back home with us wonderful memories and uh, of Greece. And so we did. In fact, we went back again. <laughs> I was going to say, and then you guys have been all over the United States too, and you've got places here that you love to go to and Bar Harbor, and we got to go with you guys one year on a trip. But out of all the places that you traveled, what do you think was your favorite? I mean, how can you care? How can you decide between standing in Red Square and being at Big Ben in England? I mean, they're just, I have too many favorites. I, I can't really, it's like your children. <laughs> you can't have a favorite. <laughs> That's funny because when guess, I told the kids I was asking, I was going to say when I told the kids I was asking questions, one of them be sure and said, "Okay, ask who's the favorite grandchild." <laughs> <laughs> well, I was pleased when uh, Lacey texted me the other day from the uh, Holocaust Museum. <laughs> Her group, group uh, from work had gone to the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, and she yeah. Wanted to share had, with me while they were there that she knew yeah. I would be excited. <laughs> 
Yeah, she did. And you yeah. did some, that was another thing you've done during retirement is mm-hmm. you were a docent um, for one of the museums here in Dallas. The Bush, the Bush mm-hmm. Museum. Do you miss that? Uh, yeah, somewhat. My feet don't. <laughs> uh, we had four hour shifts and generally you had to stay in one place, which is always harder than walking around a lot. Yeah. And so it just became uh, to the point that I just couldn't do it anymore. I went back after I had my cancer treatments were over and I was feeling you know, very well. But as you know, I have too many joint issues. And so I had to give it up, but I really did enjoy it while I could. But I love that because when you go through those museums or even when you go to a store or anywhere like that and you want to ask a question, you know, it it is refreshing to be able to ask a question of somebody that actually knows the answer. So being able to go to a museum like that, a historical museum, um, a presidential museum and be able to ask someone because they were pretty rigorous um things that you had to go through, right? And qualifications that you had to have in order to work there, right? Even though you were yes. technically a volunteer. Yes. And we had to, we had to study hard because we had to know about everything that was in our section. And of course you weren't always in the same section. So you had to be really on your toes. Uh, you didn't know whether you were going to be in the Oval Office or were you going to be over by the AIDS board describing their contribution to uh, that the president's uh, office had in helping with the AIDS uh, problem in Africa. And uh, you just didn't know where you were going to be. So you had to be sure. I, I'm anxious to go because they have the paintings of the immigrants uh, that they just have opened up the, the museum back. And that's the special exhibit uh, that, he has painted and then turned into a book uh, with the stories of several, uh, I don't know, 50 or more probably immigrants who came here and found uh, a way to contribute to our great country. So, Well, we'll have to put that on our list of things to do now that things are starting to open back up a little bit. But I will say that I love that even though you've been retired for how many years now? Uh, since, since 2005. Good gravy. 16 years. <laughs> it, uh, which doesn't seem possible um, yeah. already, but you've been retired and yet you didn't, you know, stop doing that. You've still, you know, found things to do that within your um, fields that you love and being the docent and still grading SAT or ACT. And, you know, most recently you've been grading what the star, oh, is that what you're working doing on the seventh grade star, Texas star right now? Yes. I've graded all day. <laughs> that sounds terrible. The seventh well, grade, you know, I, I always go back and think of how the Lord has kind of ordered my life. Uh, we're very blessed to be a pastor's daughter. And it was shielded from so many things in the world that would have a a lasting effect on a lot of people. Um, And then married a a minister. And then when I was teaching, it seemed like I looked at developing the honors course and the AP course as an opportunity where a lot of people, if they were asked to do something extra, they think it's a burden. But I looked at it as an opportunity. And as I look back now, here, 16 years into my retirement, I'm still grading. So it's just opened a lot of doors to me. I, I consulted until 2017, and I uh, 
decided I wasn't doing any more institutes, but I loved doing those too and yeah. met so many teachers across the state. I We have good good batch of teachers, I guess I could say, out there uh, for our kids. And I did some institutes in different states as well, and I found everywhere I went very bright people who were very interested in doing their best for our kids, which is what we want. Right, exactly. That's what you want for your for your kids, especially when they're under somebody else's influence, is for them to be someone that has a good moral character and upstanding that you trust them because they're, you know, such a big influence on them uh, when you're when they're not with you. Um, I was just thinking when you were talking about grading and that after all these years, you're still grading. And I was thinking, you know, I don't know that I could ever reach in your purse and get a black <laughs> pen because there was always a red pen <laughs> on the bottom of your purse or in your corner in the living room where you sat and graded papers. But, um, you know, what do you think something after all these years of teaching for almost 30 years and being a mom for 60 years, which is crazy um, to think what's something that you think has been maybe the biggest lesson as a mom that God has taught you? That's interesting you ask that because I had thought to myself, I hope I can remember to say this. You know, I, I wished... As the years went by and the kids were about grown, I wish I'd been more purposeful about things that we did. It seemed like, you know, we live life. We're busy. We're kids in and out going to school, having things they do, us getting in and out to church and back. And I I just have thought I wish I had been more purposeful about teaching them more things, but I think it might have had the same uh, result I did with all this history I tried to teach you. <laughs> so maybe you didn't need me as a teacher of so many things, but but that is something I thought about. I, uh, I You know Dewey, my cousin that lived with us for a long time as we were growing mm-hmm. up. His wife had talked to me. I had, We would talk about their children and their her own childhood, and she's Puerto Rican, <clears throat> but her mother was an English teacher. And um, she talked about how their mother would have them have uh, tea parties and have dinners in which they had to organize and fix the food. And I think there were four girls. So obviously that's something you would do with them. I mean, I know I, you all did a lot at the house and that. Yeah, That wasn't the problem, but just that I had been a little bit more purposeful in some areas. I did. I do. I'm real torn because had I finished college when I first started, I probably would have done something different. And I'm very happy with what I what I ended up doing. But it was hard going back to school with three children and a very busy husband. And I did not go back until Bowen was old enough that if. You all had to be alone for a little while that uh, he was old enough. He could keep anyone from <clears throat> killing each other or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do know that I that it was somewhat of a burden, uh, probably on finances as well as uh, just my time. And even when I was home, I was busy about many things. 
But I don't think that that's any... kept me out of your hair a little bit, too. So. No, but I, I don't think that's any different than anybody else, um, any other mom that looks at, especially the older we get and, you know, your kids are all grown and you start just kind of reflecting on what you did or didn't do or how you did it or did you do it the right way or whatever. But God gives everybody different gifts for different reasons in different seasons, even that Very you, true. you know, that you operate in, whereas, you know, there are a lot of things that maybe I did and gifts I used and operated in when we first got married that I'm not really in that season anymore, but I maybe have gifts and talents that I use in a different way now. And, you know, I know we've even have kind of similar conversations with our kids about, gosh, I wish I'd had done this or, you know, um, I wish I'd had done that. And we were kids like mom leading our lives, you know? Yeah. And, and yet I think you do, um, what you do in the moment that you think is the best thing, the right thing to do at the moment. And, you know, you taught all of us a lot and the boys both have (laughs) always been so interested in, in history. And, but I think more than that, it's, it's just the, the, the ethic of working hard, doing what you said you were going to do, trying, um, you know, at least putting forth your best, best effort, um, but doing it with God's purpose in mind of doing it for him and not for other people, but that it, it led to this. I do what I do because I love the Lord and I'm doing the right thing because I'm serving him. Um, and you're working hard, you know, not just for, you weren't just doing it for you, right? You were doing it for us. And I think that was, of course I was, as long as dad was at the college, it was, we both understood that with you all getting older and we be, needed to be thinking about you going to college, that yeah. I probably needed to get on finished with my degree and, and start working. And I never was one who sat back and said either. I didn't say either one. I didn't say I just have to stay home. I want to stay home. I'm such a I love to cook or, you know, I can cook, but it's it's never really been my love. But I didn't say that. But I also never said I want to work. I don't want to stay home. I want to work and I want to, you know, hire somebody to clean the house. As it turned out, that's pretty nice. But, <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't set on doing either one. And in time, I did both. When y'all were young, I was home. And uh, then as you got older, then I was either going to school or teaching. And um, I think that, you know, you're very wise to have said in the moment. Because the Lord, he doesn't always lay out a huge uh, map in front of us. It's like one step no. at a time. Do this. Right. This is what I have for you right now. And don't wonder right. about how that's going to turn out later. <laughs> and right. so that's exactly kind of been my, that's been my uh, blessing, I guess, as I look back. Well, you know that I love you and that and I'm not going to cry, <laughs> but I probably okay. am. Me neither. I know. I know. Well, I, if I don't cry at least one on the show every week, then it's I did something wrong. But um, but I have a little surprise that I was going to read to you. Um, you know, we were supposed to celebrate your 80th birthday um, with family and everybody. And COVID is so, so stupid and just messed up a lot of gatherings over the last yes. year. Indeed. But I posted something in our high school um 
Facebook page in our group mm-hmm. because I knew a ton of my friends that had you in high school. And I just said, hey, you know, we were supposed to get together. It's my mom's 80th birthday. I know some of you guys had her. And I had just some of the sweetest comments and um, from friends that um, that had you in high school through the years or people that knew you. But I got this one in particular that was really sweet. So I want to read it to you. All right. And if I can make it without crying. Mm-hmm. Um Dear Mrs. McCarg, when I found out about your 80th birthday, I was so honored to be able to send you a message about the part you played in my life. Lynn and I became friends in middle school, and to this day, I believe she's one of the best people I've ever known, and what a testament that is to you as a mother and a role model. More personally, you taught me American history when I was in high school. You were one of the reasons I chose to major in history when I went on to SMU, and my primary focus was study of modern American history. Um, Even more importantly was how you and your family embraced me as one of Lynn's friends. I was often at your home sitting at a table with Lynn while we appeared to study or be working (laughs) on school or something. When in reality, Lynn was probably the only one doing any homework. I just wanted to make everybody laugh. I loved visiting your home and seeing you and Mr. McCarg while I was there. You always made me feel like part of the family. And as one of my teachers, this was incredibly special to me. Those memories have stuck with me my entire life. I wish you the happiest of birthdays and many, many more to follow. Thank you for being a part of my life and helping shape my future. All my love, Billy Lively. Oh, Billy Lively. How sweet. Isn't that the sweetest? That is the sweetest. So you have just been a huge source of inspiration and encouragement to all of us kids and grandkids, both academically challenging us, you know, to not only do our best and to work hard and show integrity in what we do, um, but as the Bible says, you know, as unto the Lord, but also spiritually um, in placing our faith in Christ and Him being our strength and our source. So I am so thankful that you're my mama. And that you um, have taught me a lot through the years. Um, but I'm thankful that you have been um, such a huge part of my life. And I love you very, very much. Sweetheart, that is very, very sweet. And I couldn't tell you in a million years how much I love you and how proud I am of you and all you have done with your family. And it's just really nice after all these years to have spent the last 16 living close enough that we can uh, enjoy See one another. another a little bit more. So yeah, uh, I agree. You and your brothers are nothing but a, a great joy to dad and I, and we are very, very proud of our family. Well, I love you. And I just wanted to say thank you for being on, um, especially on this Mother's Day edition and just getting to share a little bit about your life. And I'm excited that the kids will have this to listen to as well. So on this Wednesday, leading into Mother's Day, I just wanted to say that I love you so much and I'm thankful that you're my mom. I love you, sweetheart. Thanks, guys, for listening. And until next time, happy Wednesday. Hey, y'all, I can't thank you enough for listening and want you to know that you have all been prayed for, for real. 
If you liked what you heard or it touched your heart in any way, I would so love for you to leave a great review on iTunes. But more than that, just share this with other moms that you know that might get something out of it. You can find more information about each of the episodes in the show notes, as well as our links to Instagram and the website at drivethroughmoms.org. Thank you for listening. And until next time, happy Wednesday. Wednesday.